All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Real Life, a podcast from the Nation Network. I got 50. I got 54 days. Brought to you by Finning Canada. The parts you need when you want them. Welcome back to the Real Life Podcast. Jason Greger, along with Jason Strudwick, a special guest, Bag Milk, uh, joining us uh, because he's one of the few Odors Nation employees who can clearly show up to an appointment, unlike Wanye, who is once again MIA. Yeah, he got out of his Compton uh, household in San Jose, I mean in Mexico, and now he's, uh, he's in San Jose. I think he might have got arrested after the uh, Oilers' victory in Game 3. I can't confirm that, but those, that's what the internet rumors are. And as you know, internet rumors usually are false, but we like to blow them anyway. All right, let's get serious for a second. I spent many a night in San Jose. I had a lot of good times there, but I, I, there's not a lot of trouble you can get in there. The, like there's, there's, it's not like there's uh, Vancouver downtown where you can rock around to the, the Roxy, although I was never there. But uh, all these other great bars, I mean, it's amazing. So I don't know how he cannot function the next day to be ready to rumble and be a part of the show. Bag Milk, your thoughts. Rattle. Well, if I'm uh, following by his social media, I think he was doing the double vodka sodas last night. Oh, jeez. And uh, when Wanya gets into the double vodka sodas, then you never know. It's going to be an ugly morning the next day. Now, uh, the Real Life Podcast is obviously brought to our good friends at Finning Canada. The parts you need when you want them, uh, over 1.4 million parts at your fingertips. I'm not sure if they have a Zach Cassian tractor, but if they did, it would be selling out right now because uh, he is the most popular guy in uh, Edmonton. But the biggest surprise of the playoffs, Jake Gunsel in Pittsburgh. Hello, just got a hat trick. The guy's leading the NHL scoring race with six points. So uh, how many people had him 
on their uh, fantasy hockey pool outside of Pittsburgh, I wonder. Oh, yeah, I was a genius. I definitely passed on him uh, 10 times. Uh, <laughs> oh, no way. This guy's not going to do anything. It's funny. I had a conversation with a scout um, early in the season. This was a Jake was still in the minors, I believe. And he said, have you been following this guy, Jake Gunsel? I'm like, no, I don't even, I've never even heard of him, to be honest with you, at that point. He's like, you got to watch this guy. And sure enough, you know, he comes up and he's rolling. And, um, you know, he watched the goals. He scored at the hat trick the last game. I mean, Obviously, playing with Sidney Crosby helps, but you also have to know where to be to get to Sid to get you the puck and, and to get open, to, to make those shots. And then you have to bury him at the same time. I mean, that one, he had a terrible angle on his strong side, and he still finds a way to get past the goalie. Um, you know, he's he's amazing. I think that credit to him for sure, but credit the the, the, the the Penguins. They find these young players, just like they did last year, come up, fill a role at the most important time of the year, and Jake's not rattled. So I, I've really been impressed with him and uh, from what I've seen. Gunsel's uh, great, but the biggest surprise early of the uh, of the first round, I think, has to be the fact that Nashville Predators go into Chicago and win two straight and sh- and crush them in Game Two, five nothing. Now I had them as my underdog. I thought, okay, you know what, they might be able to squeeze one out in seven because my concern heading into the playoffs was Chicago's depth on their third and fourth lines. And if you look back to their Stanley Cup wins, they got tons of production from there. Every successful team needs some guys producing in their bottom six. And right now, that's hampering the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. Do you think the Hawks can come back and win four of five? I think it's pretty tough to argue with Chicago. They're not the team that maybe they were a couple years ago, but they've still got guys that have been there before. They've still got guys that can put the puck in the net. And frankly, I'm shocked that the entire team is being outscored by Pekka Rinne. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Gregor, you and I have argued about Jonathan Taze since uh, forever, basically. I love Jonathan Taze, so I'm not going to say that any team that's captained by Jonathan Taze is out. I think that they this, this, this next game we'll see... Do they come out? Do they fight for it? Let's go back a few years when the Chicago Blackhawks were playing the Boston Bruins in the playoffs, in the final. And Zeno Schneider was lighting up that group. And uh, instead of, and everyone in the media and all the fans are saying, you got to get Taze away from Chara, get Taze away from Chara. Instead, what Taze did, the first shift in the game three, he went right after Chara and he ran him. Now, it looked a little bit like a bug hitting a semi. It didn't even make a difference. But emotionally, you saw the difference. So I think we'll know within the first five minutes of the next game if these guys are ready to rumble. And uh, I, I will never, ever bet against a Blackhawk-led team by Jonathan Taze. Let's make a wager. I need some free money because the Hawks are done. Book it, lock it, loaded. They're done. They're four not winning straight. the series. Four straight. No, no, not four straight. But okay. they're not winning the series. Well, of course they should win it. Well, game. it's easy to call it now. It was your dark horse last week, yeah, but well, that hey. dark horse and betting is two different things. Uh, you're saying you're not counting them out. I'm saying now they're counted out 100. Uh, and I do want to ask you: Have you ever seen a team that has dominated a series but is down 3-0, like the Minnesota Wild? Like Jake Allen's playing unreal, and he's part of the team. But they have controlled so much of the, that game on a game-per-game basis, yet they're down 3 nothing in that series. And now, I'm, I would actually give them a better chance of coming back than Chicago, strictly because they have dominated so much of the play in that series. Well, they're, they're winning, except they're losing the series, right? If you know, <laughs> they're winning the play. I think if you added up shift by shift, which shifts are won by which team more often, it would definitely be more in favor of the Wild. Um, you're right. Jake Allen's playing very well. Um, you made the comment last week that I agree with. And I, I think that one of the problems for the Wilds, they don't have a guy they can say, just look down the bench and say, 
you got it. And an example of this is I played with New York Rangers and Yarmer Jagger was on our team and he scored 52 goals that year. Everybody knew in the rink that the coaches on both teams, our players, their players knew that when he needed a goal, Jagger would do it. So when you're looking at Minnesota, is it uh, Charlie Coyle? Is it uh, Ryan Suter? Is it Marty Hansel? I mean, good players, great death players. But I don't think you're saying these are the guys. If you go back to last, uh, before Taylor Hall was traded for um, Adam Larson, that looked like a team that maybe had extra D. Maybe that'd be a group you'd want to trade with. I think that Minnesota could use a player like Taylor Hall where one, he could play 20 bad shifts, the 21st shift, he scores a goal, you win one nothing, And they don't have that game breaker per se. And they're hard to get. There, there's a lot of depth there and you know I wouldn't blow this team up if they don't make the they don't make it to the final but they need you just need someone you know you can count on and say oh, you know what we got this like for the winners Connor McDavid hasn't been exceptional I don't think in this playoffs he's been doing what he does but every shift he goes out there you're like oh man he like you know for game three he could have scored a goal and you're like okay Connor good job you did what you did so they don't have that guy and I, I really think that's hurting them but man, they're a good team. How are they? You know, and they are losing because of Jake Allen. It's clear and simple. Yeah, he is. Uh, he has played great. The uh, the series that gets uh, going Toronto and Washington. I think people are surprised. Both games have went to overtime, and the Leafs have been in in the games. Uh, Justin Williams, of course, uh, was huge in, in Game One for the Capitals, and the Leafs are able to win Game Two. Now in Edmonton. It was pandemonium. No playoffs for 10 years. And the Leafs have only been in the postseason once since uh, since the lockout of 2005. So, you know, this is only their second time. So they're kind of in a similar boat, I think. Their fan base, the younger generation, is going crazy. Do you think that the Leafs now, everybody says young guys, young and dumb. They don't worry about what's happening, what's going on outside. That they're going to push Washington to the brink. Or do you think the Capitals are kind of like, okay, you know what? Now we're going to focus. Now we're going to show what everybody thinks is the best team in the NHL in the regular season. What are you expecting the next few games in Toronto? I kind of wonder how nervous the Caps are at this point. They're playing like a nervous team. Toronto's playing like they have nothing to lose. And I actually thought Strud said something really interesting before we went on. Because this series is really important to whoever wins, whoever goes on to the next series. Because they've already played, what would you say, it was two and a half games they've already played. And that's tiresome on the body. And that overtime in game two was fantastic. And I loved when Boyle sets up the winning goal and then he's giving it to the fans at the glass. He's banging on the glass. I love that stuff. And I love seeing, you know, I'm an Oilers fan. I'm probably going to get some heat for saying this, but I loved seeing the, uh, what's it called? Leaf Square. Everybody going bonkers. Yeah. Oh, well, you'd love to have, I think every city would like to have that. Fan bases who maybe can't afford to go into the, although that's a road game. Like here in Edmonton, you'd put it at Churchill Square. I'm surprised they haven't done something like that. Like a viewing party in the rink's fine. It's not the same. I'm sorry. To me, it's just not the same, right? It's like when you have a sleepover as a kid or you have a sleepover in the backyard in a tent. It's way more fun in the backyard in the tent, right? There's not as much people around. Whereas a controlled environment, I think that's something that if Edmonton goes on in the next round, that's something I think they should look at because it is fantastic. You have it in an area. Everybody's outside. It's going to be beautiful. Hopefully the snow's gone officially by then and away you go. But the Leafs are a young team that's rolling. And Brian Boyle struts. Like you want to talk about guys that you need in the playoffs. Like he is leading the Toronto Maple Leafs right now, as it should be. He's a veteran. It's tough even for rookies. Like Connor McDavid hasn't been leading the Edmonton Oilers necessarily. It's probably been Zach Cassian in a sense and Cam Talbot. And in Toronto, I think Boyle's been fantastic. 103 playoff games, I believe, now for Brian Boyle. And when you're in that dressing room, sometimes you're just looking around. You're, you know, and there's 
not always your captain is going to be your leader. There's different situations where you count on, you know, sometimes you need your goalie to be the leader for that game or you need a, a veteran guy or a goalie or a, a fourth liner. But I think Brian Boyle, he's he's a confident guy. He's seen everything in great playoff runs with the Rangers and Tampa Bay. He's been through a lot. So I think those guys in that dressing room, they see how Brian Boyle reacts. You know, the first game, you can see Brian Boyle's out there. Yep, I've been through this before. Let's just play hockey. You know, we've, we've done this before. Then he sets up a really calm play. Me to check his shoulder and make that backhand pass is amazing. But there's and then he had fun when he scored. He reacted that way. I think it allowed the young players to have fun as well. He was, as you mentioned, uh, Bagnell, he was tapping the wall, tapping the glass. I mean, they're, they're, he's allowing those young guys to say, it's okay. It's okay to have fun. Enjoy this. No one thinks we're going to win this. Don't worry about it. So I think they're looking to Brian Boyle to be that leader. I mean, the lessons that Matthews is learning, um, Marner, who might is quickly becoming one of my favorite players in the league. Um, these guys are all doing a good job. But the one, one thing I don't think we touched on for the Leafs is their play, their D. You know, Morgan Riley, Gardner, you got Roland Polak, whose leg snapped like a Now he's a done twig. for the playoffs. That's a big loss. Big problem. Uh, Zaitsev was out. So, I mean, they're playing. Marty Marinson went in there. And I, I thought Marty Marinson was one of the softest players I've ever seen. But you have to admit, in that overtime game, game two, he played very well. And I, I, you, have to, you have to say it, whether you like him or not. He played very well. So you have young guys that are stepping up. And again, I think it's that, that leadership group of Brian Boyle who's saying, no, guys, it's okay. It's okay to be nervous. But let's just embrace this and have fun. I'll show you the way. But you guys just follow me. It's been, I, I hate the Maple Leafs. And I like, I can't, I'm going to go out of my way to watch their games. The Real Life Podcast, Jason Greger, Jason Strud. Our guest today, uh, Bag Milk, as uh, Strud's almost uh, spills his uh, juice over there. Uh, I love it, almost the juice on the computer. That would have been fantastic. Now, the Calgary Flames and Anaheim Ducks, uh, the Flames might be happy because all the post-game reaction uh, yesterday was on uh, uh, the unnamed uh, commenter. And I, I've only listened to it once. I knew right away it wasn't Rick Ball. Uh, he was one of the voices, but I know his voice from doing Lions games from a long time ago. And John Garrett, I don't know who that voice was, but... I watched I I watched that game. There was two things I wanted to result on. I don't really care what the guy says. I've been in that situation where the mic is on and, and you think you're just talking to your people. And uh, now I never and I don't even know if he I don't know if you ever call a guy a bleeping idiot unless you're going to say that on the air. It's always one of those things. I've always felt like, hey, whatever I'm going to say, I feel confident or comfortable that I would say to the player's face. Right. I did drop an F bomb once off air. Just say, man, this is bleeping terrible. And I was talking about the pregame uh, ceremony at an NLL game. And it was terrible, which I'd said on air. So I didn't care. But it was still the F bomb, which you never want to do. He said the flames are done. Right. There's no chance of winning four or five. So a two part question. A, do you agree with that? And B, did you think Dougie Hamilton was really that bad in game two? Because I watched that game and I'm kind of like, gee, maybe I missed the part where he was a bleeping idiot, but I'm not sure it really stood out. Bag milk? You know, uh, uh, holding the stick calls are tough to get, and that's the one that he got. But at the end of the day, he got one penalty. It's not like, you know, he wasn't out there running around. He got, I think it was three. Did he take three in the first game? Yeah. So he cut that down. I kind of laughed. Honestly, I'm an Oilers fan, so I laughed at the reaction. That tape is hilarious to me. I loved it. Uh, anytime you can rile up a Flames fan is just fine by me. But my question for you guys is, because you've broadcasted before, whose job is that to let them know that the mic is hot? Is it just a mistake that somebody left it on? Or is well, there a producer there that's supposed to say something? Number one rule I learned in broadcast school, the mic is always live. It's your responsibility. You are responsible for whatever you say when that mic's on. Now, I've done lots of times where I will look, I will take my headset off, I will hit the button on the board, especially when you're like in studio, it's very easy. There's a red light. It's either on or it's off, right? That's pretty simple. But when you're on location, 
then you're basically, you're trusting the people back running the board. And it's no different for a hockey game, right? I do my show live on location every day. So the guys at the board are essentially the ones running it. But when I talk to them, if I'm ever going to say something that I don't want, I always say, you guys make sure the mic's off. Then I'll have a conversation about something that, you know, maybe portion of the show we want to talk about or whatever. But you as the, the person saying it, you're always responsible for your words. You can pass the buck all you want, but ultimately at the end of the day, it's on you to uh, watch what you say. Do you think that kind of thing fires up Dougie Hamilton or is he kind of like, come on, man? Well, I want to know who it, like, I think, and Stred's like, to me, A, it's coming from the press box. So it's somebody, if it's not a former player, then it's somebody in the Flames organization because it's not like anybody just gets a press pass. People are saying, oh, it was a fan. It's not a fan. He's talking to the guy like he's normal, right? And that they know him, they're friends. So, and he called him Mr. John Garrett called him Mr. Flame. So it's obviously somebody from the organization. Um, I'm sure Strez is a former player. You, you never want to hear things like that, but ultimately you probably don't care too much about a person's opinion unless that was like the assistant GM or something. Yeah, if it's a GM. Which I'm, I'm not saying it was. Right, then you have a problem. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's comments made all the time. You know, Greg's, you know, you're up in uh, Press Alley. You, you walk by the fans. As a player is sitting on the ice, you hear things said all the time. You know, I'm not just talking about as an Oiler. You can be playing in New York uh, as an Oiler and you hear the Rangers fans get on their fans. So you're hearing negative comments all the time. Positive and negative. That's just part of the job. So I don't think this really rattles Dougie Hamilton. It's not like he's 18 years old playing his first year in the NHL. Um, but I actually had a problem with that penalty. And I think that he's got to know better at that time of game. Grabbing a stick in, in that area. You know, you probably could have called both ways. But I have a real problem with that. With that holding a stick for an, a second. And you're just putting yourself in a position to, to allow the ref to make a choice. So why, why allow that to happen? But do you think that play cost him the game? Uh, no, but right. I thought you were talking about yeah. in relation well, no, to like that. him calling because basically, like from what, and maybe I'm misconstruing what I heard, but yeah. when I listened to the rant, it sounded like the guy was saying, "Well, the Flames are down because Dougie Hamilton is like the worst player on their team." Right. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think that at all. In fact, he's he's been one of their best players down the stretch. Yeah, you know, and and, and the way he gets the puck through from the line, uh, very very good player. But just that specific play, I don't like that. I don't like those just. You're, why leave it to chance? It's like a boxer that instead of knocking the guy down, allows it to go with the cards. And anything can happen at that point. That's what he, you're just, don't let the refs decide the game. Play it straight up, be better position. The Flames are down to nothing. We've seen teams, uh, especially more recently, being able to come back from it. Historically still says you only got a 15% chance to do it. Are the Flames done in this series, considering they just, for whatever reason, can never win in Anaheim? Well, I'm rolling with all my picks. So uh, I had the Flames as my dark horse, although I said the Ducks would win the series. So I think the Ducks will win the series. They, the Flames might get one game at home, but I think that the Ducks are going to continue to get better. The way Getzlaff's been playing, I think Fowler comes back at some point. Um, I like the Ducks team. I've been saying that all year. And, I, I'm, and for me, this is a team I think could really push in. So no, uh, they're not going to come back from this series. A game, maybe, or two. I also uh, I like the fact that the exit Furlan. I, I love the emotion of the playoffs when there's a few tilts and it's fantastic. I'd, I'd like there's been a few of them and you know the Edmonton San Jose series has had some penalties, hasn't had a lot of ferocity yet, and and maybe because San Jose just can't play that way, right? Like Edmonton is literally a tougher team. Like right? if you want to go into the back alley with the orders now, whereas before you'd gladly walk in there by yourself and take on the whole team and probably come out unscathed. Nowadays, I think it, like you look at San Jose, they just don't seem interested to want to engage in any sort of physical play. What I want to know, Streds, is I was at the game on Friday where Zach Cassian was an absolute wrecking ball. And the crowd's going bonkers. The whole place is going nuts. 
he must be like as a player when you're on the ice in that situation what does that kind of feel like what does that do for you are you getting a big shot of adrenaline from it because he was out there like a man possessed I haven't seen him play a game like that for the Oilers and the whole place went bonkers I thought honestly that's the best game I'd seen an order played all season long no disrespect to McDavid because McDavid can't deliver those bone crushing hits like cat like Cassian was able to get you inspired in pretty much every fashion of that game. As a skater, yeah. I'd argue that Cam Tablet's had better games as a goalie, but, I mean, that's two separate things. Um, well, there's two things. So, first, if you are on the bench watching your teammate play like that, it's inspiring. I mean, how can you not be inspired? He's out there. He's doing everything right. I think if you went through and did a critical analysis of his whole game, there's no play where you're like, man, he should have chipped it here, didn't it? He is playing perfect smart hockey like the hit on uh, Brandon Dillon that's a great hit I've got no problem with that they don't Logan Turi absolutely blows up a guy whose teeth are you know all over the map which I can't believe he's playing and what's he doing taking that mask off he's that is crazy um but I love the ways that casting's playing but as a player when you're rolling there's just sometimes where you know you're just in the zone and it's such a special feeling. So for Zach Kastian, he probably, whether, you know, this, this thing goes six or five or seven, he wants to start the next series right away because you're in such a role, such a, a good feeling that it just, everything you do is going right. And it's so much fun to watch him. And I'll say it here. I, I hated Zach Kastian. I hated, I hated just looking at him, playing against him. I just couldn't stand him. What he did to Sam Gagne, I hated him. And I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but every time, you know, I've been watching him change his life over the last uh, number of, uh, let's say, a year, the last couple of months, he's really changed my opinion of him. And he's actually become one of my favorite players to watch in the league. You know, and I give him credit for that because I literally, I hated him. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he, I, I'm using the word hate here, not dislike or I couldn't stand him. I hated him. And now I, I, I gave him a lot of respect because he has become a massive contributor on this Oilers team. And even before this playoff run, yes. even going back into the year, I'm not just jumping on the, the bang wagon in the last three games. Prior to that, he's been amazing. Jason Greger, Jason Stroudwood, Bag Milk with us today on the Real Life Podcast, brought to you by finding all the parts you need in one place. Uh, we'll come back. We'll break down more on the orders and also some of the uh, head-scratching plays of the NHL playoffs thus far. It's late, and you just finished a full day of work. Your equipment is done for the day, and tomorrow bright and early, you start all over again. You know what you need to keep it running smoothly. But there's not a break in the schedule to make that happen. With over 1.4 million cat parts at your fingertips on parts.cat.com, getting that part just became easier. Any device, anytime, anywhere. Get what you need, when you need it. Order today. Parts.cat.com We are back. The Real Life Podcast brought to you by finning all the parts you need in one place. Gregor, Strudwick, Bag Milk. So let's continue on quickly about Zach Cassian. I, it's game two, and the crowd actually starts a Cassian, Cassian chant. Like, seriously, that stuff's reserved for McDavid and maybe Talbot or opposing goaltenders. Like, and I talked to, to Zach about it, and he was still kind of, you know, a little low-key about it afterwards. I waited until the big scrum was away, and he says, honestly, the first time I didn't really hear it, I was kind of in the zone. You know, you're in the game, and then when he got back to the bench, the teammates were saying, dude, they're chanting your name. And he was kind of like, what? And he even said, he goes, trust me things I never thought would happen in my life, Oiler fans really embracing him. And it's true, though. Like, and, and I think Cassian respects it. He knew he broke Gagne's jaw, and, and, how, and then he showed no remorse about it, which I almost had actually more respect for him because he was just like, yeah, whatever I did, and I'm not going to change it, so here you go. But Cassian Pisani 
give me the comparisons or the differences in their two magical runs. I'll be one very early so far compared to 2006. I think at ON right now, we're going to start calling him Cassani because the fans are loving it. He has been such a big part of these games. And I don't know if I've ever seen a guy turn it around from being a villain, like you said, to getting his name chanted by 18,000 plus. It has been a wild transformation. He scored two game-winning goals, back-to-back games. He's doing it all, and those chops look great. I'd like to see more guys rock those. And if the, you know what somebody needs to do is get, and I think Brownlee said this last night on Twitter, somebody needs to get foam chops handed out to everybody at the door. Because that would be fantastic. Oh. Well, I can tell you, right, I've already had probably six or seven different guys who have sent me a Twitter. Hey, Gregor, I'm on casting, and they've got the chops already, right? They shaved it down, and they got the chops going. Like I, and Because people like something like that. I think a lot of fans can relate to casting in the sense that, because they like, not only does he score, but he's physical, and he's tough. And, you know, like, McDavid's just so great. There's nothing wrong with that. But fans are probably looking for that next-level player to root for. Well, I think Edmontonians, we love physical players. I, I think that we, 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 we go back for as long as you can, though it has been around. We've had physical players here. Um, you know, you think of Semenko. You think of Kevin McClellan. You think of Marty McSorley. And obviously these guys can fight, but they're also physical, hard No, Even Charlie Huddy, Lee Fogelin, all physical players. We love that. And Zach Cassian, the difference between him and Pizzani is that, yeah, he's scoring goals, but he can, he can change the course of a game with a big hit, somewhat similar to Rafi Torres, what Rafi Torres would do. And I think that's where there's no doubt scoring a goal is huge. But when you're on the bench and one of your teammates blows up, um, you know, a Logan Couture or a Brandon Dillon, who is actually playing really well in this series, um, that does a lot for your psyche. And it's like, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to go out there and I want to be physical. Because you look at the Oilers, I mean, they're, I don't know who's tracking the hits. I think it's getting out of control. I think we better well, the get it. the San Jose it. game was good. Like, I went back and rewatched the first yeah. period. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm... I don't think I'm an overzealous grader of hits, but I, and sure, maybe on TV sometimes it gets out of screen, so maybe afterwards, but I counted 17. I think they had him at 29. I'm like, dude, that's a pretty substantial difference. It's ridiculous, you know, but but the orders, when you have guys like Cassian, um, Maroon's done an all right job, but I think Larson and Nurse, those are the three guys that kind of jump off me as physical and, and Luch has been the, the four Kajula, physical. Kajula, I think, has been hitting a lot. Yeah, he's been, he's been, yeah, smaller but, you know, guy, yeah, he's but... a smaller guy. So he's not, he's like kind of a bug riding into a car. He's not going to hurt anybody, but, it's, but he's one of the guys that is following the lead. He knows that I've got it, man, these guys are running around. I got to get hits. And I think the nice thing what the Oilers are doing, more importantly than even the hits themselves, they're not getting out of position to get the hits. They're kind of there. They're, they're on their toes. So it's a quick hit and they keep skating. And I think that if you're chasing across the ice to get and deliver a hit, it's, you, you've missed it and you're out of the play. Now, here's one for both of you. What's more surprising to you? Zach Cassian, offensive threat, Jordan Eberle on the ice in the five, three times in the final five minutes of a one nothing game protecting the lead. You know, I think Ebbs has really turned his game around as the season has progressed. I think he's, um, for me anyway, as I'm watching it, he's adapted more to playing a two-way role. And I give it credit. He may be sacrificing a little bit of offense. Uh, You know, maybe if he wasn't shooting field goals out there all the time, he would have a few more goals out there. But I appreciate his willingness to get back. And maybe, like you said, that's something that we wouldn't have seen him be out there in the last five minutes, even earlier this year. I think he's done a really good job. And actually, I think the Ebernucic line in general has done a really good job of shutting down Pavelski and really limiting their chances out there. Yeah, the last two games, they've, they've definitely done it. But Everly just looks like a player, Strads, that finally realized, you know what? I'm going to be 
competent defensively. Okay, first of all, we got to talk about this line name. Do you have a line name for every single line out there? Like, uh, it's amazing. What did you call it? Neberlucci? Ebernucci, yep. Ebernucic? That's right. Oh, like Eberly. Well, I know that, did but you? when did this start? Did this just, I mean, the Phil, team... Do you not read the nation? Well, I'm not looking about line names. I know the names of the players. I, this is something new to me. I got to get into the uh, lingo here. But I think with Jordan Eberly, what you're seeing is a player that understands that either you're in or you're out. And I think that he now sees it. If he wants to be a contributing member of this team and a winning team, more important than anything. Yeah, you know what, uh, Bag Mill, he might have to sacrifice some offense, but they're going to win a game one nothing instead of him, uh, instead of losing 3-1 and him getting a goal, right? And I saw a play in the third game that I couldn't believe. He took a run, I believe it was either against Brandon Dillon or uh, Brent Burns in the offense zone. He ran him now. He bounced off the guy, but that's that doesn't matter. It's just the idea that he went in to be physical, yeah. and we haven't seen that from Everly before. So I think this is a player that's understanding that, you know what, I want to be a part of winner. I will do what I have to do to do that. And I think when Everly now understands that, he's going he's gonna to be, as you mentioned out there all the time, Griggs, at, at, at the end of the, the game, he'll get confidence out of that. He'll get more opportunities and he'll end up actually getting the same or more points as we move forward in his career. So we talked about on this podcast many times, what is Eberle's legacy after these playoffs? I think we're starting with the Oilers. I think we're starting to see a player that now understands it and can he keep it going because he, he can be a big part of this team. There's no, you, it's hard to trade out a guy that can get 25, 30 goals. Exactly. That's the thing. Like it's not, everybody just right. assumes that right. Paul Yarby's going to score yeah, 25. It's on. not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. So, you know, you, if you're an Oilers fan, you want Eberle on this team but you want him playing a full game does he have to cheat sometimes yes there's no doubt everyone cheats offensive players but when there's a tight game last night you could or you know you could tell a game three is going to be tight it was going to take time to get it together and once they got it together and you knew it was going to be a, a zero zero game pretty much last shot the one shot would win it and he embraced that that's a major step forward in his career more so than the points or goals for him to understand that full game and i i'm i'm actually as a former team and i'm proud and impressed of him now the orders won the game, so people probably won't talk about it. But I'm telling you, the worst play of the game in Game 3 was Oscar Clefbaum. You you skate into the blue line. You got a wide-open net in a one nothing game with a 90 seconds left, and you're trying to go top shelf? Like, that was terrible. Like, it's not like he just missed it. That was about two and a half feet wide. Right? That's looking like one of Strud's passes that he was trying on the oh, breakout. What? Right? <laughs> Just, hey, I couldn't, sorry guys, I couldn't knock All it right. down with All my right. stick. But seriously, like honestly, I know you can, they can laugh about it, but I'm sorry. You have to bear down in that situation, Strud's. Like to me, making a smart play defensively, when you're there, you're, and I, he, he made every right play, didn't shoot it from the red line, skated into the blue line. Now you're inside the blue line. You make that shot in your sleep as a defenseman. I'm sorry, you got to put that in. Well, I mean, first of all, this isn't Connor McDavid shooting the puck. It's uh, Oscar Klefbaum. Yeah. Who has over 200 shots on goal this year. Right, but how many goals? 10, 11, 12, 12. Yeah. 12. He's, he's at his best offensive career, buddy. There's no goalie. Just hit the net. I know, but I think I'll actually argue. I think he bared down too much and it got away from him. You know, he because he tried to hammer it. And, you know, I had a teammate who said, it's not worth scoring unless you score top shelf. And he was going yeah, short well, side top me, shelf. <laughs> but, but he, Which but teammate it, said that? The, one the guy who didn't go top shelf. The guy who was sitting on the bench a lot. <laughs> uh, but no, in all honesty, I do think he bared down too much. He was too amped up. And thank God that they didn't score a goal afterwards because Whoa. you would be feeling... Because that, that could have changed the series. 100%. That's a series-turning event if San Jose comes back, ties it up, maybe wins in overtime. Now you're Oscar Clefbaum, and you're like, oh, my God. So the guys will have a good time. I'm sure that at practice uh, in San Jose, they had a drill where uh, Todd lined all the guys up on the red line. 
they had to shoot from the red line just to learn to shoot empty and just have fun with it to relax Oscar. But yeah, that that was a. I I do think he buried, he tried too hard and it got away from him and uh, it just it was lucky for him. It did not cost him the game. For me personally, that was probably the longest forty plus seconds of my life last night. The way where I live in our townhouses, it's kind of, we're all kind of shaped like a U, and we had our windows open. And when Oscar Clefbaum missed that, you know, like Greg said, two feet wide, you could hear everybody, "Oh, come on!" And it was hilarious. But I was stressed out for that last forty seconds. I can't imagine what it must have felt like for Oscar Clefbaum after missing that gimme. Oh yeah, and and to his credit, you saw him, but he's, you know he's back out there, and you could just see him lining up, and probably in his mind, he's going, "You got it." Well, however you swear in Swedish, he was using every Swedish swear word right there internally, just hoping the mic wasn't on, like the flame guy. So he he was all good about it. But you mentioned how it could have changed the series. All you have to do is look at the Montreal New York series. New York was what fifteen seconds away from being up two nothing. Now all of a sudden they're down two to one, and Montreal has all the momentum. Like Radulov with maybe the goal of the playoffs thus far. What a sick play for him like that guy has really elevated his play strides and i know you're a huge fan of russians so you're probably uh, okay i turned me to don cherry i was just gonna say listen when when i will i again i'll admit a mistake when rajla signed the canadians i said this is going to be nothing it'll be just like when they sign sam it'll be a joke but he's played very well and i agree that the goal he scored against lundquist with one hand on stick was impressive but the goal i liked better was the previous goal where the, the tire where he's in front of the net? You watch that whole shift. He's not on the perimeter. He is right in front with that greasy beard and about five teeth missing. He's standing right in front of the net. The pucks are coming. He takes one shot, then a second shot on the rebound to bang it and getting abused the whole time. For me, that's the more impressive goal as far as like just showing grit and determination. This the, la- the one last night or the other night was just pure skill. But I love that play by Radjoff. And again. There's another guy re- winning me over. I still want to sign him for more than three years as a side note, Canadians fans. I, I would agree with that. I think that's a fair assessment. right? Uh, a guy who's one year shows when he had a one-year contract, keep him hungry. I, I agree with you. To me, I would rarely s- s- sign anyone to longer than three years once they're on the other side of 30. Like Maybe the Nick Lidstroms, you know, the Sidney Crosbys of the world. But to me, there's way too many players that get six, seven-year deals after the age of 30 and, and near the end of that contract – the team's like, oof, that was a mistake. But see, it's a hard thing because let's go and talk about L.A. for a second. So, you know, like, do you just let guys go? Do you just let Kopitar go? But think about, no, you could have signed Dustin Brown for three years. Yeah, but right? that, yeah, Dustin Brown, I but think, the like, second he signed when he was a superstar a... like Kopitar, right? And Kopitar, when he signed his deal, wasn't 30 yet. He'll be 30 near the end. Right, but that's, oh, he'll be well over 30. Yeah, he'll be, I think, 35 when his deal. But still, I think we know that it'll be hard. Like, I, I, I think I know what you're saying, but I disagree in principle because you can't just say we're not going to sign these I'd guys. rather pay a guy a little bit more on a shorter-term deal. And how's the player? You're not going to – because the one thing, Strads, that I never buy is when they hear the excuse, oh, you're going to offend the player. No, no. Oh, I, really? You're going to be offended because I'm offering you $30 million for three years and, instead of offering you eight, you know, over eight or nine? Like, I just – that part of it, I've business is business. It's nothing personal. And you can say – and you look at the teams that have been successful. They find ways to not lock into horrendous deals. Now, Chicago's lucky because they got Duncan Keith under contract and Hosa prior to the new rule changes, right? So that's kind of a little bit of an asterisk there. But you look at teams like L.A. now, like Gabrick, 
right. Dustin Brown. Like we're talking anchor contract. I, I agree. I have no problem with those. But to get back to Kopitar, so if you say okay, Anze, um, we're going to give you three years. Let's say yeah, but whatever. he wasn't over thirty though, so that's why I'm not sure why you're bringing him up. Well, because my my thing is he he if you because if you don't sign him to a long term deal, he's going to free agency and he'll get it somewhere else. So now you lose the heart, the yeah, backbone of your team. He signed at twenty seven, so I get why. Yeah, I, I don't know. I but there's I hear that argument a lot. I have to think of other players that just for me, when it's the heart of your team, you have no choice. You got it. You got to pay them. You got to pay those guys. But I, I, Gabrick, I never would have done that deal. No yeah. doubt about it. And same with I'm not arguing Dustin Brown either. Yeah. That's for sure. But those some guys you have to sign them. Otherwise, you've got your team. Yeah. Like the elite, I could top your superstar player okay. on your team. All the right. one guy, sure. But after that, like I look at is Radulov the best player in Montreal? No, Carey Price is. Right, like Carey Price is the guy you're going to live and die with, and then build everybody around him. And so you go to Radulov. Yes, you, you really like him, but you know I might stretch it to four years. But I, I, I would be I'd be very hesitant to go much longer than that. Which leads me quickly as we we wrap things up. Zach Cassian. It's funny because Pisani had an out of this body experience offensively, right now. And I agree with you, Struts. Cassian's been very consistent all year long. Let's say he continues on. And I'm not saying the orders go to the cup because that would be just as surprising, probably as 06. But you, you never know what can happen. But let's say Cassian ends up wherever they go and, you know, is a guy who's top three or four scorers on the team, wherever they go, however long it is. He's an RFA just like Pisani was. Would you sign him to a four-year, $2.5 million contract now, similar to what Pisani got? Or what kind of deal would you look at for Cassian this summer? Is it wrong that I think that you could get him on the cheap because of he appreciates the opportunity that the Oilers have given him? No, I think there's some loyalty there for sure. I, th- I think he would take a, um, you know, like if, but to me, 2.5 million, I don't think is, is necessarily on the cheap. I think that would be a fair deal. I just, I'm not sure do the orders go four years. That's what I'm, would you sign Cassian for a four-year deal after what you've seen all year long looking at his age? The Oilers are going to have caps problems. It's coming. That day is coming. Uh, maybe not this year, but we've got to sign Leon, Darnell, and then uh, Connor. Yeah, I don't think Darnell has a, has a big contract yet. But but it's no, but I'm not saying a monster, but he's going to bump up a bit. You know, uh, you're lucky you have the two Swedes on good deals. I think Cam Talbot's on a reasonable deal. Um, you have Pat Maroon coming up after next year. So that's going to be an issue. I mean, he's at one and a half they're paying him right now. That is going to be maybe double tripled more than what he's and they're gonna have to pay the whole shot instead of Anaheim paying him 500 grand to score 30 goals for the Oilers so there are times coming they're gonna be tough all that being said I would be interested in locking up um Zach Cassian for 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 a while I think I'd I'd like to get for three years I'd like to get I think three years 2.5 or less uh, you know, at the end of the day, he's, he's a third-line player, 2.5 for a third-line player. I don't think that's unreasonable. I don't think that's a number like, oh, geez, that's disgusting. Because, you know, in reality, he's probably a 10 to 12 goal scorer. I think that's where yeah, he falls. Fair. But it's the intangible as he brings. I mean, yeah. the physical play, um, the little bit of, you know, crazy. You never know it's going to come down the pipe. So, yeah, if you're asking me, three years would be my preference. Um, just so you have a little bit more flexibility there with Zach. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have to sign, I, I, you can't let him walk. Now, is the question I have for you is it become a problem in the expansion draft? Is he now a guy you well, have the to orders, protect? The order is going to protect seven and three, as, as all the sheets that I see. And, and the five forwards are pretty easy in, in uh, Lucic and Eberly and Dry Seidel and Maroon. And, and uh, did I say Eberly? Yeah, Eberly, Lucic, Nugent Hopkins, uh, Maroon, and Dry Seidel. So those are the five. So they have two spots left. I think Zach Cassian's an easy guy to protect. I, I don't have much issue protecting him. And uh, then the next one I'd probably protect is, is Mark Letestu still because I don't think they have enough depth down the middle, right? Because I'm not, I'm not worried about exposing Jujar Kara, right? I'm not, I'm not worried about exposing Benoit Pouliot. 
and they don't really have any other forwards because Slepeshev, they don't have protect. They don't have protect Kajula. They don't have protect McDavid. They don't have protect Darnell Nurse on the back end. And to me, I, I don't see them protecting Russell. I'd rather talk to him and say, well, we'll sign you afterwards. Because if I'm Chris Russell, I wouldn't sign a contract before either because then I could get exposed and then go to Vegas. So I, I think casting is actually an easy decision because the orders have a lot of flexibility right now in the expansion draft. I think if you can get Cassian, he's 26 years old right now. He scored uh, he scored seven goals this year. How oh, many... He scored 11. He just had four. Yeah, I was going to say, how many disallowed? <laughs> I think maybe the universe also is sending those back to him right now. A okay. little bit of karma for the, some of those ridiculous callbacks over the year. A little, bit, uh, a little bit of playoff touch would go a long way. If you can get him 2 to 2.5 until he's 30, I think you're in a solid place for a guy who can move up and down the lineup a little bit. That's fair. That's To me, I think Cassian uh, looking at a three-year or four-year deal, because they like a lot of the things he brings. And um, t- I, I still think they'd want it under 2.5. And I bring up Pisani because a lot of people felt like in hindsight they overpaid. So I think you look at a third-line player and say, okay, this is what we know he is. Let Even though we had a great playoffs, we can't lose sight of that. And you look at, and I think if you get casting around 2, and if it maxes out at you know 2.1 or 2, I think they'd live with that. I think they're going to look between 1.8 to 2.2 in that range. But uh, to me, I'm curious if they get three- or four-year deal. You're right, Sarge, that teams all the time are looking for shorter. But uh, I, I wonder if they look with Cassian and, and what he's done off the ice as much as on the ice and feel like that maybe that's a guy they want in the organization. One of Shirelli's guy, right? He's the one who went out. He's the one who made the trade when everyone was down on Zach Cassian, gave him the opportunity. So I'm not saying that's his boy, but it is one of his guys. He brought him in. He made the trade. It, you know, Shirelli's going to be proud of what Zach's done on and off the ice. So maybe that gets him that fourth year. Maybe the fourth year drives down the average price. Maybe that's the trade-off, that, that, right? That's very fair, yeah. And I think that when you're looking at a guy like Zach Cassian, let's assume that everything stays well off the ice. Everything uh, and health is an issue. I believe that's a guy you can always flip for a trade if needed. Oh, be. you know, like yeah, I don't think he can skate. Right, he's skating. He's big and he's physical. Even if he doesn't score, even if he only scores seven goals again next year, he brings you a lot of stuff that you, you don't have. You know, you might not have. And he's proved that he can be physical without taking a lot of dumb penalties, which yeah. that is maybe more impressive than everything else he's brought to the playoffs so far, including the goals. I'm kind of curious what you guys think, how much it's benefited him having a clear and defined role. The Oilers told him very clearly when he came in that he was going to be a bottom six guy. He knew what he was going to be. He didn't have to be with the Sedins. He didn't have to be that guy that scored 30 or whatever it was. How much do you think that helped his game just settle down coming back from what he went through? I think the number one mistake sometimes coaches don't make is they, they don't tell the player, okay, this is what your role is, and then reinforce it to say, okay, this is what we need from you. We don't need anything else. Don't worry if you're not scoring. Don't worry if you're not hitting. If you're a scorer, this is what we need from you. And every player I've talked to, when you have an open line of communication, the coach clearly defines what he needs from you. Most players are like, okay. Now, it might be hard to adjust to it if you've been a scorer your whole life to suddenly say, okay, well, you know what? Like, like Eberle, it took him some time to figure out, okay, we still need you to score, but we need you to be good defensively as well. I think in Cassian's case, having that clarity of just saying, okay, you know what? I don't, they want me to be a penalty killer, which he's never really done before. So he's evolved in that. He's still on special teams. As a bottom six guy, you have to be on one of the two units, right? He's on penalty kill. He's always been physical. He's a good skater. He can get by. And him chipping in a strut said 10 to 12 goals. Yeah, I think it's a perfect defined role for him. I'll even take a step further. I think it's important to have deep pairings and lines to have clear identities. Now, I know there's flexibility amongst the third and fourth line, but look at the, the how Nuge, Eberly, and Lucic have evolved since being put together. When was that, Greg? Is in February? Yeah. In February. that They, they were kind of 
floundering. They didn't really know exactly. Luch was trying to be, you know, I think he was sleeping, to be honest, for the first half of the season. Nuge was, was he offensive, was he defense? Eberly was not consistent enough. And now all three of them came together. And I'm sure there was a meeting with Todd and the three players and say, listen, you got to be our stabilizing force. I got to be able to put you in any situation. Yeah, we want you to score goals, but you got to be stable. And now they've taken that on. And players want to know because now the three of them, I'm accountable to you two. I know that I have to be doing this or that. This is how I don't want to let my line down. So I think it, even a step further than what you're talking about, it's important to have roles for each player, but lines have identities. And then you can really embrace it as a line and go for it. Bag milk. Good to have you on the podcast. Good to be drafted. <laughs> you're not signed though. Be careful. <laughs> Strutty, I'm Gregor. As always, uh, the podcast, real life brought to you by Finning Canada. The parts you need when you want 1.4 million parts at your fingertips. Check them out. They might even get uh, Cassian tractors in. I'm not sure, but maybe that might be the new thing for next uh, year. We'll talk to you next week when, uh, well, the series will be over for sure because Game 7 is uh, is next Monday. So by then, we'll talk to the orders are either out or they're moving on to face the Ducks or the Flames, and all the other rounds will be done as well. We'll talk to you then. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.